0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: Believe. Episode 243 for the love of the game on the Believe Broadcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. Don't be sad that the Super Bowl is over and that football season is done because Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your sports betting needs, whether it's basketball, baseball coming up, college hoops. Down the stretch they come. March Madness is right around the corner. NHL bet online has you covered experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from either your desktop or your mobile devices so head to bet online today become a member of the team and remember to use promo code believe B L E A V to get a 50 percent welcome bonus in your first deposit bet online where the game starts with that said episode 243 for the love of the game let's get this work Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 243 for the love of the game on the Bleed Podcast Network with yours truly. It's ATH back in the saddle, back behind the mic, coming to you on a Monday evening. And this is a packed show. I mean, a lot has happened since our last show. We had Super Bowl 58, a great game, 25-28 Chiefs over the Niners in overtime. And we had the NBA trade deadline, of course. The podcast comes out the day of the deadline. It's just the way it happened. So obviously there was a lot to talk about regarding the NBA trade deadline. But you have to start with Super Bowl 58 and what was a fantastic game. Kansas City Chiefs 25, San Francisco 49ers 22 in overtime. Third Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl title in the last five years. They've gone back-to-back for the first time since the New England Patriots in 2003-2004. Just an awesome game. Awesome game. I mean, what else can you say about Patrick Mahomes? And I'm going to give him his praise, extol his uh, virtues in, in a little bit. But this game and these playoffs, to me, have... Really illuminated that the way we talk about the NFL and the way we judge the quarterback position is incredibly flawed. It's incredibly flawed because, let's face it, Mahomes's brilliance has colored all of our minds that we really can't have the discussion properly in terms of how we view other quarterbacks in the league. I'll get to that in a second, but just a couple of things in terms of, of what my takeaways for the game was in the first half. I thought the San Francisco 49ers were playing a really, really nice half. The chiefs came out flat, the Niners along the the offensive and defensive line were pretty dominant. I mean, Chase Young, the much maligned Chase Young, had a really, really nice game. Nick Bosa had a really, really nice game. And 10-3 going into the half, you felt like San Francisco should have been up 17-3, 20-3. Yeah, McCaffrey fumbled deep in. Kansas City territory early on. They didn't get points out of that. And even though they did so many good things, so many good things, San Francisco in the first half, I'm thinking to myself, man, like how many possessions left do they have and Mahomes is in striking distance and the Chiefs haven't really put put a drive together yet. And San Francisco's kind of dominated. I know McCaffrey ran for under four yards a carry. So it's not like he really dominated. And a lot of that came in overtime when they drove down the field for a field goal. But it did seem like San Francisco was in control and they just could never pull away. And with a quarterback as great as Patrick Mahomes, you have to be able to pull away. So 10-3 going into the half. By the way, Usher was fantastic in the halftime show. I absolutely loved it. Score yeah. out of 10, 1 to 10, I'm giving it an 11, fantastic. So so anyway, the Chiefs come out of the, the second half out of halftime punt. And what do you know, all they needed was a bounce, and one of the The three biggest plays in the game, the two biggest plays in regulation, the Chiefs punt the ball away, hits one of the gunners on San Francisco in the leg. McDonald tries to scoop it up, isn't able to fumble. Going the other way, the Chiefs get the ball deep in Niners territory. One play later, Mahomes to Marcus Valdez-Scanling. And for a team that basically dominated most of the game – the San Francisco 49ers found themselves down 13 to 10. And if you're a Niners fan, you just have to be sick to your stomach. You're just like, what the hell happened here? Like we were winning handily the entire game, but that's what happens. That's what happens. All you just need is a bounce and the Chiefs are up ahead. Now credit to Brock Purdy for coming back, drives the Chiefs down the field, touchdown pass to Juwan Jennings, who threw the touchdown pass in the first half? So you're thinking to yourself, "Wow!" Like we talk about prop bets all the time, but Jawan Jennings is really gonna win Super Bowl MVP. I mean, responsible for two touchdowns. By the way, Purdy he made some great throws in this game, anticipation throws, and he was even better in the second half than he was in the first half. We'll get to Purdy in a second, but yeah, touchdown, San Francisco, and then the second biggest play. You can argue it was probably the biggest play. The second biggest play in regulation was on that touchdown, the point after was blocked. Jake Moody, much maligned kicker for the San Francisco 49ers, who had previously kicked a 55 yarder and a 53 yarder, gets an extra point blocked. 16 13. The Chiefs come down and get a field goal, 16 all. Credit the 49ers and Purdy. Drove them down the field again late in the fourth quarter, 19-13. A little bit too much time for Mahomes. You kind of knew that he was at least going to get a field goal. 19-19, we are heading into overtime. And yeah, you can make a case that there was a little bit of weird play calling. Again, McCaffrey didn't really get it going per se. Like, didn't break a bunch of big ones. But you could argue that... The Chiefs defense was wearing down a little bit that Shanahan should have used McCaffrey a little bit more but all things considered, San Francisco played a really good game 1919, eh? but this is where it gets weird so we know that the overtime rules changed each team was going to get a possession regardless, doesn't matter what the clock says, doesn't matter Each team is going to get a possession, and then if both teams score, it becomes sudden death. Coin toss, San Francisco takes the ball first after winning the coin toss. And I'm just like, I'm not really sure that I want Patrick Mahomes to touch the ball last. I'm not really sure that I want Mahomes to have the ability to see what he needs to do to win the game against anybody else, and I know what the analytics say, because if you go second, you know what you need. You basically get an extra down. You know you're going for it on fourth down in certain scenarios. I, I I get the analytics. I understand it. I still – I'm okay with taking the ball first, putting points on the board and putting pressure on the other team, except when you're playing Patrick Mahomes. He's the exception to the rule. You cannot let him potentially have the ball last. And what do you know? He got the last laugh. He got the last laugh. And San Francisco got down the field. They were helped out by a big defensive holding call on a third and 13. Purdy made some nice throws. I mean, he made a great throw. Getting out of trouble to Christian McCaffrey up the sideline. By the way, his over-receiving yards hit a prop bet that I gave out in the last episode. Had a nice day yesterday. Um, Made a great throw to use check, Converted a big fourth down to Kittle in the second half. Like, Brock Purdy played well. And then in the biggest play in overtime, besides for the game-winning touchdown, of course, but... It's third and seven inside the 10. San Francisco's going in for a potential score. And San Francisco's got the right play. The route combination, it was open. Jawan Jennings was open. And Chris Jones blows through the line. Purdy can't set his feet. Pass falls incomplete. They kick a field goal. What do you know? Mahomes comes down the field, knows that he needs at least a field goal to extend the game, but he's going to go for the jugular and go for the end zone. Converts a fourth and one on a QB option. You knew he was going to carry the ball. Regardless of the formation, you knew he was going to carry the ball because the ball is going to be in his hands to win it. I know San Francisco gets a stop there. The game's over, but I didn't expect them to get a stop there. And Mahomes hits McCall Hardman, ex-Jet McCall Hardman, to win the game. 25-22, Kansas City. I want to start with the San Francisco 49ers. Because we'll get to the Chiefs in a second. Um, For the 49ers, this is a a brutal loss. It's absolutely a brutal loss. Because in a sense that they dominated the first half. And they'll go back and kick themselves For not converting one or two more drives, even if they got an extra field goal, one or two more drives to really put distance in between them and the Chiefs. Because, again, if Mahomes is going to start out slow in a game that matters, when the chips are down, you got to put him away because he's inevitable. Okay? He's inevitable. They'll kick themselves over the the block, P.A.T., because obviously that changes the whole complexion of the game if they know that they need to get a touchdown to take the lead, that a field goal wouldn't just tie the game. The whole complexion of the game changes. It was very significant to some who had under 47.5, like yours truly. So if you bet KC to cover, parlayed with the under – that bet won something I suggested last episode. But again, you know, I, I don't want to dwell on my successes on the prop bets. You know my history this postseason. I had a really good postseason in terms of betting against the Sprint prop bets, but whatever. San Francisco taking the ball in overtime was just foolish. It was just foolish. And as great of a coach as Shanahan is, in the regular season, he's tremendous. He's had some some weird brain farts in the playoffs. I mean, he's blown three consecutive 10-point leads in the playoffs. Now, again, last year was different. Brock Purdy got hurt. The backup quarterback got hurt. They had no quarterback playing. The Eagles took advantage. Fine. Happens. But the game against the Rams was winnable. The first game, the first Super Bowl against the Chiefs was winnable. He's getting this reputation like Andy Reid had it before he linked up with Patrick Mahomes, that he just can't win the big one and that his clock management's not good and that his situational football is not great. Now, again, people are going to get on him for not running McCaffrey a little bit more in the second half. McCaffrey was bottled up under 40 yards a carry. I can't really kill him on that one. And, and Brock Purdy... Played well enough to win, made a lot of nice plays. He was good in this game. So for all of those who are saying that Brock Purdy is just a game manager, right? That he that he has all this talent. Like, I don't think you were watching that this game because he threw guys open, made plays with his legs, was elusive in the pocket when he needed to be. And again, this is on the heels of winning two straight come-from-behind victories in the playoffs. And again, it's only his second year. Brock Purdy's good. And Brock Purdy, 98% of the time, if he plays this way and San Francisco plays this way, they're going to win the game. The problem is you need to be perfect to beat 15 because 15 is just a cut above. He's on a different level. He's on a different level and especially with this particular Chiefs team. Like, this was the year to get the Chiefs. They were going through some cap issues. Their wide receivers were as bad as they've ever been. Kelsey was looking a step slow in the regular season. They just looked like they were in on a mix of cruise control and just sluggish, still managed to win 11 games. But with that guy, all you have to do is get in the dance, and you can never bet against him, ever. And you have to be perfect to beat him. You have to be perfect. There's only two guys who have beaten him in the playoffs, Joe Burrow and Tom Brady, okay? Joe Burrow is probably the second or third best quarterback in football and has that it factor, that moxie, and Tom Brady – for the time being, is the greatest of all time. Mahomes, I think, will probably catch him in this and, and surpass him, which is crazy to think about. But he's on his way. But those are the only two guys to beat him. You have to be perfect to beat the guy. And Purdy was very good. Purdy wasn't perfect. Shanahan wasn't perfect. And you need to be perfect to beat Patrick Mahomes. And it's not just on the coach; it's not just on the quarterback. I mentioned McCaffrey fumbled in the red zone. There were other plays that were left out. You know that that's not the coach's fault; that's not the quarterback's fault. But if you're not going to be picture perfect, and you give the guy an inch, he's going to take a mile. What else can you say about the guy? Talking about how he hasn't been explosive passing the ball like in years past. 336 yards in the Super Bowl, 34 for 46. Again, with with mediocre wide receivers at best. Travis Kelsey turned back the hands of time. Looked like he was going to have a slow start. Had a little do-to-do with his coach. A lot was made of basically nothing. He bumped his coach. Fiery. I think they have a pretty good relationship. Relax, everybody, on Twitter. Relax. It's not a big deal, okay? This happens. This is pro sports. It's the damn Super Bowl. People are getting a little animated. They're getting a little emotional. It's exciting. But he finishes close to 100 yards receiving. He was tremendous. Made huge plays down the stretch. What else can you you say about the quarterback? Six years a starter. Has been to the AFC title game every single year as a starter. Has been to four Super Bowls. He's now won three, and he now has three Super Bowl MVPs. And he's reached that point that the greatest athletes ever have reached, where if you don't put them away, you know he's going to come back to win. The inevitability that he seems to have, the only a very few guys have it. Tom Brady had it. Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, like the greats of the greats. That's the class that he's in. It's the class that he's in. And I know I I started out talking about that. We need to change the way we talk about the quarterback position and that the media talks about, does this team have a guy? Does this team have its guy to take the next step? Right now, I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure it matters. Because he's just a, a a cut and a half above everybody else. He is. He's the best player in the league. He's the most valuable player in the league year in and year out. I mean, this team traded Tyreek Hill, the best wide receiver in football this year. And they've won two Super Bowls back to back. And, yeah, the front office gets a tremendous amount of credit for turning some of those assets into great young defensive players. Sneed, Karloftis, just to name a couple. But they're able to do that because the quarterback can make it work with whoever, regardless of the names, regardless of who's in that wide receiver room, he's going to make it work. He's the only guy in that class. So, yeah. People want to kill Josh Allen for not beating Patrick Mahomes. Well, I just told you, only two guys have done it in their career in the playoffs. Josh Allen is great. He's great, but he's not that guy. And you need to be perfect to beat that guy. And while Josh Allen was really, really good in his playoff loss, he's not that guy. As for Lamar Jackson, who's a step behind Josh Allen, did not play nearly as well as Josh Allen did in his playoff loss to Patrick Mahomes. I, I saw a question on Twitter. How can Lamar Jackson close the gap between him and Patrick Mahomes? He can't. He can't. He's not He's not as good. It, it's just that simple. And And Brock Purdy, for all the game manager nonsense, like Brock Purdy's a top seven quarterback in football. But the gap between seven and one in this respect is huge. It's huge. So yeah, everybody asks, do you have your guy? Do you have your guy? Is he the guy? Right now in this era, I'm not really sure that it matters. Because Mahomes is that special. And I witnessed the Brady era. And there was an element of this with Brady too. But to me, it just seems like Mahomes, there's even a greater level of inevitability because the gap between him and the next guy is bigger than it was from Brady to Manning, from Brady to Breeze, from Brady to Rogers. What else can you say about the guy? He's no worse than the second greatest quarterback of all time. I think he's probably the the best to ever play the position. Brady has has the resume, has the career. We'll see if Mahomes can catch him. Because remember, Brady went a decade from winning his third to winning his fourth. I'm not sure Mahomes is going to ever go a decade without winning a title. So, yeah. Going into the season, it's probably a good idea to bet the Chiefs every single year. They remain the best value bet in sports in terms of the future. Right now, I think they're plus 750 to repeat. Why not? They have an excellent coach, a budding defense, and and the, the best player in football by far. Inevitability. It's why you just don't bet against the guy. If you bet on Patrick Mahomes and he loses a playoff game, you're not going to to feel bad about it, right? Because it's just like, all right, I bet on the best guy who's better than everybody else, and it just didn't come up my way this time. But if you bet against him and he kicks you in the teeth again and again and again, Like, then you're just a sucker. So, yeah, you probably should be betting the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl basically every year because he's that great. And and that's the ultimate compliment you can give the guy. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl and and recap the Super Bowl, tie a bow on that with a recurring guest in just a matter of moments. But just switching gears, congratulations to the Chiefs. But I want to switch gears really quick, talk about the Knicks trade deadline. We're going to get into more trade deadline stuff too, but just specifically about the Knicks. They bring in Boyan Bogdanovich. They bring in Alec Burks. They send out Quentin Grimes, Evan Fortier's contract, a couple of second-round picks. And Knicks fans are doing backflips. They're doing backflips that this trade elevates the the team a tremendous amount. And yes, I agree. The fact that they were able to get two guys who can help them, especially on the offensive end. Both guys shoot over 40% from three. Both guys are really good in points per possession in, in isolation. There's no question about it that after the trade deadline, after that Thursday, the Knicks got better. My Why I'm not doing cartwheels, and again, I said last episode that I think the Knicks could have won the East- even without the trades, assuming they were all healthy. With the trades, they're a step closer, no question. But why I'm not doing backflips, a couple of reasons. One, I just don't trust the chef to cook the meal properly with all the ingredients. Like Tom Thibodeau, is he going to play – Boyan Bogdanovich in certain fourth quarters when the game dictates it and put Julius Randle on the bench. I'm not too confident because I've mentioned it multiple, multiple times the bromance between Tibbs and Randall. Is he going to fall back in love with Alec Burks to play him 35 minutes and play him at backup point guard? I sure as hell hope not. I like Alec Burks for 15 minutes off the bench. I don't like him for 35 minutes. I don't want him playing any point guard minutes at all. At all. Now, is the situation a little bit different than it was the last time Burks was here? Yes, but still, Tibbs has his guys and he rides his guys. The other thing is, is just it seems like the Knicks constantly sell low on all their assets, whether it's the 48 contract whether it's Emmanuel quickly in the OG Ananobi trade, which has worked out for the Knicks, get well soon, OG Ananobi. But it seems like the Knicks are constantly selling low. Quinton Grimes, the latest example. When they I, I know when they brought in Dante DiVincenzo, the writing was on the wall for Quentin Grimes, and the Knicks have morphed into this win now mode where they're not willing to bring young guys along. And, and develop them. They're win-now mode. And maybe it's the brilliance of Brunson that does that. It also may be Tom Thibodeau, who, let's just face it, doesn't necessarily love young players dictating the front office. But, that, but, but we're here now, right? We're here now. So, yes, I think on paper the Knicks can win the East. I'm still dubious that a team that will feature Julius Randle this much will ever make serious noise in the playoffs because Randle likes to play Randle ball, even with Brunson in the fold. Randle still likes to play a lot of Randle ball where it's all about Randle and we've seen Randle ball in the playoffs and it hasn't been pretty. I don't trust the coach as Greater job as he's done so far. Get just getting guys to play hard. I don't trust him to cook the meal properly using the right amount of all the ingredients. And I I just think the Knicks could have tried to aim a little bit higher with all the assets they had. But again, it's hard to complain about the Knicks right now because they're in as good of a position to win. Big in the playoffs as they've ever been. Part of that is because the Eastern Conference is a little weird this year. But, yeah, so uh, it's a good trade deadline. I'm not doing backflips. I'm still cautiously optimistic. But you know what? Maybe Brunson's good enough this year where none of that matters. All right. With that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest to – tie a bow on the Super Bowl, talk a little bit about trade deadline and NBA second half. We'll get them in just a matter of moments. So I brought him back two weeks in a row. It, you know, we talked Super Bowl. We talked a little bit about some NBA news. Obviously, the day our episode comes out is trade deadline day. Shout out to my editors. Uh, so a lot has happened since the last time we spoke. Avi Wexler's is back. Avi, what's good, bud? How you doing?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm ready to be here.
1: So you're the perfect person to talk some Super Bowl with NBA trade deadline, which was kind of a blot deadline. We'll get your thoughts on that, but obviously we got to start with the Super Bowl. We all know what happened. What was your parting thoughts in watching this game?
0: Parting thoughts were it was like the perfect explanation of the Chiefs season in that game and the whole postseason for the run for the Chiefs, where they may not have been the better team but they did not beat themselves as much as the other team did. And that's what it came down to.
1: So my big thing was, is that, and again, part of me, I know I bet the Chiefs, but part of me wanted San Francisco to win to validate the season because I thought that they were the best team all season. I wanted them to validate the season. Obviously, you know, I, I spoke about it in the monologue, how unbelievable Mahomes is and how the inevitability of him is even more so, like, we both lived the Brady era, right? The gap between Mahomes and, say, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow seems bigger than the gap was between Brady and Manning, between Brady and Rogers, between Brady and Breeze to a degree, in a sense where it was just like, if you were even close, you knew the guy was going to come back to win, and that these guys below him... Don't have it like Brady, not like Brady, but like Peyton Manning had it, and like Rodgers had it. Like there's well, just gap. Well, yeah.
0: well, Peyton didn't have it as much as Brady, right? Especially in the beginning of Peyton's career, the whole knock was that sure, he you know, but, but,
1: but you know what I'm saying? That there was yes, a, yeah. there, that the, right now, there's like a step and a half between Mahomes and the next best guy, and it's just like
0: I'd say it's three. You can't steps. give him an inch. I'd say it's, I'd say it's three steps. I mean, it, it really yeah. is. Crazy. I think you're right that the gap was probably closer between Peyton and Brady, especially because the way that they played was very similar. Like, yes, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't move out of the pocket obviously, but their brains were super supercomputers. They, they knew what the defense was going to do before the defense knew and they could dissect teams up and down the field all day long, death by paper cuts. And it didn't matter if they had Randy Moss and Marvin Harrison that they were thrown to, or Julie Nettleman and Austin Collie. Exactly. Oh, amazing random Patriot and Colt crossover there too. Great call. Um yeah. So the difference between Mahomes and then the guys below him, like uh Josh Allen and uh and Burrow are, you know, Mahomes is more durable and athletic than Burrow. And I'd say he's just way more dependent than Josh Allen. Like We haven't really seen Josh Allen, who has maybe probably had to do more with his offense because his defense has not been as good in the playoffs. At least that's what we saw when they played again this year. But when you're watching Mahomes, he really does not have a lot to work with. And, you know, the best chefs make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And boy, was that offense chicken shit for the most of the year.
1: And you've seen the evolution of Mahomes. Like he comes out first couple of years, the gunslinger, the... The gaudy numbers, just like the crazy wow plays. And now he's sort of evolved. Like that's still there. Yes. You know, like the 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 pass to um oh my god, it wasn't it was McCall Hardman. Yeah. Um, not not the touchdown pass, but that that long pass was he's rolling out to his right. left, throws it right. Like it's still there, right? Yeah. Travis Kelsey throws up his hands like you can't believe yeah. it. Like that stuff's still there. But he doesn't have to do that as much and has become even more of, and this is a cerebral. word, a game manager in a sense where he's just not gonna make any mistakes. Exactly. And if you give the guy the slightest opening, he's gonna take it. And that is reserved for only the great athletes in, in team sports history. Michael yep. Jordan was like that. Derek Jeter to a degree. Had it in.
0: Oh, I don't want to hear the in talk.
1: certain, in certain points, Brady had it. Wayne Gretzky had it. But like that's who we're talking about here, right? And right. what I just kept coming back to is obviously. And I'm going to ask you, you know, what your thoughts on this was. We talk about, you know, the mainstream, you know, sports media talks about the NFL in, in very like binary terms like especially with the quarterback position he's the guy or he's not the guy Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking to myself while watching mahomes engineer this comeback like i think we're just we're so spoiled by by mahomes that it has distorted how we talk about the other quarterbacks in the league it's true if you're if everybody's going to be judged on if they are the guy that they're going to reach his level, then no one's ever reaching the level. So it's, it's so stupid how the mainstream media, you know, mainstream sports media talks about the NFL because like, you know, Brock Purdy, I've said it like made a lot of plays in this game, you know, made a lot of plays with his feet, with his legs, you know, scrambling to make throws, big fourth down plays like, And throwing with anticipation, like, he played like a top seven quarterback in the league. And 98% of the time, he's going to win that game. But when you play against Mahomes, that's the 2%. Yep.
0: That's
1: the 2%. And we just talk about football wrong. We get it wrong.
0: Yeah, I agree. I forget who said it um and i i guess other people have said it too but you have to compare the other guys that mahomes is going up against their his contemporaries in the same way that we compare brady and maybe i guess manning to a lesser extent to their contemporaries where they were and then michael jordan as you said where they were destroying legacies of their counterparts on other teams because no matter what they were going to win because you look at guys like who had amazing careers like philip rivers or Ben Rothsberger, who did win two Super Bowls, but anytime he went up against the Patriots, it was an L, right? Anytime Carl Malone and John Stockton went up against Exactly. This, All is, the, this great- is the Jordan thing. Yeah, exactly. We have to stop looking at guys who aren't winning and say they're not the guys and instead just celebrate the ones who are in the Mount Rushmore category the Brady's, the Manning's, the Mahomes. Montana, who I know you and I didn't really get to appreciate and see play, but nonetheless, Elway, sure. You have to reserve judgment for the guys who are lesser than them because they are not going to be remembered as well. That doesn't mean they're never going to win. It just means that the stars have to align not only perfectly for you, but also imperfectly for those greats in order for you to have that one shot. And that's what it comes down to when it comes to memorializing and celebrating these great players. That's why I can't hate Mahomes as a Patriots fan or as a football fan because what he's doing is transcending what the league is doing. Right? You, you're not supposed to have a Brady to a Mahomes. The, the league isn't supposed to be like that. The right. league, though, so the, in the, the NBA, League is set up for parity. League is set up for parity, but the and the NBA has it to an, to less of an extent because there's less parity. You have your LeBrons, you have your Jordans. There's a Kobe in between there. I mean, honestly, if you wanted to even just and I don't want to jump fully into it, but just making a quick comparison. I saw it on Twitter today. Someone made an amazing uh comparison. But Tim Duncan in his first eight seasons by age 28, three-time champion, three-time finals MVP, two-time MVP, eight NBA all first teams, six all defensive first teams, whatever. I know Mahomes can't qualify for the defensive part, obviously, but Mahomes in his first by age twenty-eight, three Super Bowls, three Super Bowl MVPs, and two MVPs. I mean just the, the all-time greats it's just it's hard to measure and appreciate when you're watching it and then you're watching one guy hand over the keys to the next and it's crazy to think that as amazing as the other contemporaries are like Burrow and Allen and Lamar to a lesser extent those guys are probably going to get the never going to get the keys handed over to them as long as Mahomes is still playing
1: and it's funny because the NBA is generally set up to have less parity mm-hmm. and right now we're entering an era of parity in the NBA, more parity than we've seen in a while, and the NFL because of this guy seems to have less parity than ever. So I'd like to everybody stop arguing about Josh Allen and how great he is. Like watch that game, and you talked about it. The stars aligning. Josh Allen is great. He's probably the second best quarterback in the league, and he played really well in that playoff game not so much for Lamar. That's why Josh Allen's a little bit different and the stars didn't align. And that's the difference.
0: Yep, exactly. It's All things, every championship runner, every dynasty. Now we can talk about the chiefs. Like we do with the Patriots, every dynasty when they're in a playoff run has one or two plays either in a game or over the course of a postseason run that the ball will just bounce your way, or it won't bounce your way in this case, the ball bounced the Chiefs way a couple times, despite a couple indications that it shouldn't. The, the ball punt, went, the punt the that punt. hits the guy's leg? Yep, yeah, the punt that hits the guy's leg is, is one. For some reason, the Niners winning the coin toss, but not understanding
1: the rules. And Hold on one, second. one, one yeah. second. Well, one second. We're going to get to that right now. That's a exactly. great segue because I want to talk about Shanahan in terms of how legacies can change. Exactly. Shanahan has been an excellent coach. Like, think about it. You know, he's gotten to the NFC title game three straight years. The Super Bowl twice in the last four years can't seem to break through. But it's but it seems like to me that it's not that you just don't break through because of unlucky breaks like we just talked about. But he's had a hand in some of these things. So, like. Where are you at with Shanahan right now? Because obviously the big thing was his decision to take the ball. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think right now, because and because Bill Belichick is currently not coaching a team and for whatever reason that is, I think right now he is probably the second best coach in the league, probably behind Andy Reid. And I know that Andy Reid is... McVay. ...the league longer. McVay's up there too. But I think the difference is with McVay was McVay realized when he got to his first Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots that he needed somebody better than a game manager at Jared Goff because he needed and and I think that and then he ended up going getting Matthew Stafford and look what happened they win a Super Bowl and I know that the Goff trade has also helped out the Lions too probably the most dual beneficial trade you'll ever see in any sport uh but Goff but you, another guy I ride for exactly and you love Goff but you look at Goff and you're like okay there's a, an easily a ceiling on him he's never going to be a top 5 quarterback you look at Matthew Stafford and you're like, okay, this guy is top five elite when the floor when the floor is there and the ceiling is there. That's where Stafford's going to be. They recognize they needed to upgrade, and the ball bounces a couple ways in that Super Bowl. They end up winning because of Stafford and I guess Cooper Cup as well. And I think that's the issue with Shanahan's teams were the where you can't blame him for Brock Purdy going down the NFC Championship game last year. That was a fluke injury, whatever. But And Brock Purdy, I think, played well in the Super Bowl last night too to an extent, but at the end of the day...
1: And he was better in the second half than he was in the first half.
0: Which is crazy considering if you look at the final line between all the studs that he had, they didn't really, none of them had a good game. So it makes you think, okay, if I even upgrade from Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo to a guy who can be a top five or 10 quarterback in the league, maybe that's what he needs. I just feel like right now, Shanahan is kind of like Andy Reid pre-Mahomes, where he has... The four out of the last five NFC championship appearances can't break the hump and actually win the big Super Bowl because he doesn't have the quarterback to do it necessarily, and I think that's what it's going to come down to when you're going to probably play against Mahomes every other year in the Super Bowl. See, I'm not
1: sure he's going to do better than Brock Purdy, yeah, at the quarterback position. That's fair. Who who who's better than this guy right now? Like he, you know, he did lead the league in all these major categories, and he played well. But the but decision. Well, okay, so I want to actually talk about the decision to to take the ball. Sure. With you know the new overtime rules, knowing that each team was going to get a possession. I said it in the moment, like I didn't like the decision because, and and not even so much for like the analytics of get of the other team going second, knowing what they need to get, getting an extra down. Like I do believe that there's some that there is some merit in momentum going down and scoring and putting pressure on the other team to have to convert a fourth down, you know, conversion. Right. Yeah. But, and, and potentially getting the ball third, if both teams match scores, even though from everything that we've heard is that they were going to, the chiefs were going to go for two, had the Niners scored a touchdown probably would have gotten the two point conversion because again, Patrick Mahomes does his thing. Right. But I'm, I'm okay with taking the ball first Except when you're playing against 15, because he's the exception to the rule. Yep. What were your thoughts? So
0: I didn't understand the new rule because they, A, the broadcast I thought was really bad and they didn't explain it well. And B, it was very confusing, especially with the clock. Because if you remember, while the Chiefs are also driving down, there's like a minute left, there's less than a minute left, they're not calling timeouts, and with three seconds left on the game, on the quarter clock, on the extra quarter, it looks like, oh, they're not going to run a play, and it looks like the Niners also stop playing because they're like, wait, are the Chiefs not calling a timeout right now? Like, this makes no sense. And I think them not being prepared is a whole other issue that we can get into, or I guess we could talk about as an exclamation point on your feelings about maybe Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes, whatever, who just got fired But right as we were recording this podcast. But I don't hate the decision because in the moment, I didn't understand the game theory behind it. Looking back, it's like, okay, obviously you want to go and score a touchdown, but the Niners defense was just getting gashed all of the fourth quarter because their offense couldn't score and they were tired. So you're basically guaranteeing Mahomes and the offense to go down and score again and then you're going to have to rely, again, on Brock Purdy, who is who was playing well. But do you really trust Brock Purdy when the chips are down when he hasn't been against the Steve Spagnuolo defense? I don't know if I would have trusted him to make the play.
1: Well, and what's, he, cra- what's crazy is, is that that third down play right before the field goal in overtime, they had it dialed up. Jennings was open, and, and Purdy so was, was going to hit him. And Ayuk was open over the middle Yeah,
0: Purdy was
1: going to hit him, but... Chris Jones, you know, went unblocked. That was crazy through the line and blows up the yeah. play. It's like, that's not brock Purdy. That's no, it's not brock Purdy. Kyle Shanahan. That's just no. players, baking great plays. I mean, this was, this was such an interesting game for, yeah. you know, a game that started out a little slow. I mean, I thought it was such an interesting game and yeah, I, I believe that, At this point, no matter what, in a game that's this close, when Mahomes is playing, he's going to find a way to win. It doesn't matter. Like, had they completed the pass and kicked the extra point, I I think Mahomes would have figured out a way to score a touchdown and gotten the 2 Like, like, that's the highest compliment you can give a guy.
0: Right. That's the thing. I mean, it's just he's up there with Brady when it's just like when the chips are down, I just – I trust 15 – just to make it work and get it done. Because as you said before, he used to only rely on those big splashy plays. And then what do they do? They win a Super Bowl, then they lose an AFC championship game. And then they say, you know what? We actually don't need to pay Tyreek Hill. We're actually going to downgrade on our explosive firepower offensively. And what do they do? They invest on their defense, they invest in their offensive line. And they make sure that Travis Kelsey stays a little bit fresher throughout the long stretches of the year because they know as long as we have Mahomes and we have Reed and we have a good defense, we're going to make it work. And it ended up being the ballsiest, but probably most successful trade you can make as a dynasty. I mean, I don't know if it's ever been done where a team basically gave up their best offensive weapon outside of a quarterback and then went on to win two Super Bowls. I mean, like, it's unbelievable. It's their hand, like... The point is that Mahomes cerebrally has gone to another point in his game where he now knows, as you said before, he doesn't have to make the big plays. Just
1: take the layups. The layups are what gets you eventually to the end zone. There was no doubt in my mind when they had the fourth and one, when they they called the run pass option, Yeah, Mahomes is just going to take off and find a way to get a yard. He ended up getting like 20 But, like, there was no doubt, like, oh, yeah, the 49ers could end the game right here with the stop. Like, there was no doubt in my mind that that game was not ending.
0: Exactly. And the other part is it's not like the Niners didn't play defense well. Like – Chase Young
1: had a big game. Bosa was – Bosa was everywhere. His pass rush.
0: Yeah. And then, I mean, if not for the Dre Greenlock injury, which was a wild injury, I mean, just terrible luck there. I I just don't – it's crazy. I mean, Pacheco didn't play well i'd say other than kelsey there wasn't a receiver who played well for kansas city but like it was just mahomes on the ground and mahomes through the air and then chris jones and trent mcduffie and legeria sneed when when it mattered most and that's what it came down to
1: crazy absolutely crazy so by the way um wrapping this one up being a a guy from quote unquote boston your favorite commercial was it the dunkin donuts commercial I
0: think it was like the only good commercial. It was, between, it was either between that one or like the the weird Jesus foot washing commercial, which I didn't understand at all. But yeah, there were some really bad commercials this year. They used to be good. There were no Budweiser
1: Clydesdale commercials. There was nothing this year. Yeah, apparently Jesus was big into Dr. Scholes. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I did not know that about him uh, personally. Uh, no. All right. So I want to switch gears, obviously, because the NBA trade deadline happened um, last week. It was an active day, but not like there weren't any like splashy names, like the big names like DeJounte Murray that was rumored out there. Zach Levine was rumored to be out there. DeMar DeRozan, none of those guys moved. Um, What was your biggest takeaway from the the trade deadline?
0: I guess it seems to me that a lot of the competitors were actually very comfortable with the state of their team going into how the second half of the season is going to be, which I guess you can understand from – both the West and the East less or so from the East though. I, I didn't really understand why some of the teams that are in win now mode didn't make more moves on the East side. I think the only two teams that really did are, I think the two best teams in the Eastern conference, which are my Boston Celtics. And I think your New York Knicks is the second best team in the East. I need to see proof. Otherwise that it would show that they're not, but I don't know. I was kind of disappointed with some of the other teams with their lack of moves at the deadline. Like, so who in the East? I would say the 76ers were pretty disappointing. Understandably, they're kind of in a wait and see mode with Embiid, but they're not doing anything short-term or long-term to really bolster their lineup. I know Buddy Heald is like
1: a nice three-point shooter, but like... I actually they're... like that move for them. like because I think it's fine, but... Because if you look at the free agency class, like they're obviously saving their cap space to be able to do different things over the summer. Mm-hmm. And with Embiid being out, you don't know when he's coming back. Like, I it doesn't make sense to go all in this year and with with him, you know, having such uncertainty. But, you know, another shooter around Embiid is is not a bad thing. Um, Yes. But, like, Milwaukee didn't really have the assets. I did like the Patrick Beverly pickup for them. I think they just needed somebody who instantly... Yeah, just like, it just needs to be better. Just needs to be better on the perimeter. Like, I never understood why they let Javon Carter go. But... But they just needed somebody like that because it was so bad. And I know they've been a little up and down since Doc has gotten there. But, you know, they have shown flashes that they're that they're potentially getting out of this uh, transition period. And they may be able to, just by who they have and different defensive schemes, that they'll be able to be the second best team in the East. But, yeah, the Knicks made moves. Um, I, I did want them to, like, I, I just – For all the celebration with the Knicks, as I I said in the monologue, you know, the players help them. Mm -hmm. They're going to help them. Obviously, any team that makes a a trade, there's going to be some weird transition periods. You know, it's not going to look great in terms of the win-loss column, but you have to have a little bit of foresight. And the Knicks are getting absolutely destroyed with the injury bug right now. Terrible. But I would have really liked them to have just maximized the assets like a little bit more and aim higher than Bogdanovich and Alec Burks for Fournier's contract for a guy who I still think has a lot of potential in Grimes. They didn't give up any first round picks, but you know, I I think the Knicks stable of picks are like a little overrated because a lot of them are, are heavily protected. I just Wanted them to aim a little bit better. And I still think they're going to regret not getting Donovan Mitchell. I know there's a question with the fit with Brunson. OG is probably a better fit, but be that as it may, you know, I just, I would have liked that, but they definitely got better. Like they have guys who can help them win games and they're in win now mode. Right. And, and Tibbs being at the helm is going to dictate them being in win now mode. Like he doesn't love young players. Like he wants to win now. And, but I mean, I'm just nervous about him, you know, cooking the meal with all the ingredients and using the proper amount of ingredients in the meal. Right. But right. we'll, like, we'll see. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that goes.
0: I was going to ask you your crunch time five right now, assuming everybody's healthy. What's your crunch time five for the Knicks?
1: I'd like to say it's matchup dependent. Like, you know, and, and I asked Nick fans this when they were celebrating the moves, I'm just like, there's going to be a, a a playoff game where Bogdanovich should be closing games with OG as the two fours with Hart and Steve. Is Tibbs going to actually put Randall on the bench there and not easier. close games with Randall? Like, there's no way because right. of the bromance. I'm just like, guys, like, we need to, like, keep this in mind when we talk about, like, how the Knicks operate. Mm-hmm which is the bigger picture with the Knicks that, you know, the Tibbs Randall bromance ultimately I think holds them back. And even, and even as pessimistic as I am, I still think they can win the East because the East is weird this year. Yeah,
0: definitely. I'm with you on that. I, I, similarly with the Celtics, I I don't really think that the moves for Tillman and Springer are going to put us over the top by any means, but their depth pieces for us that we need because our bigs are on the weaker side and we'll need help with defense against some of the better bigs in the East, like Bam Giannis and, and MB that we're probably going to face in the playoffs. So I didn't hate the moves there, but it wasn't like it was an exciting deadline on the East. And then from the West standpoint, I don't really see anything crazy that happened over the deadline either. I, it just seems like those teams are all too close because the Western conference is, very tight top to bottom. And then the teams that are outside looking in are still teams that you're not going to doubt. Like I'm not going to doubt on LeBron and I'm not going to doubt on Curry to not make at least some push towards the end of the season for the play-in. So, you know, I was about to
1: ask you about what your feelings are on the Western conference. So I, I guess, let me ask you this. If you had to buy stock in one team, Lakers or Warriors, who are you buying stock in?
0: I'd buy stock in the Lakers just because I don't love the vibes around the Warriors as amazing as as Steph is. I just don't really like what I'm seeing on the court or off the court from Klay Thompson. They've won five straight games. I understand and I get that and teams can do that and they can go on a nice little run. But I just don't know if in crucial basketball games in crunch time, if Kerr has the balls to actually bench Klay, which is probably better for them. I know he's been doing it, but I don't know if he'll do it when the chips are down in the playoffs or in play in tournament or play in game modes. See, I buy
1: more stock in the Warriors. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Curry is still a top five, six player in the NBA. Um, I think Draymond Green, since he's been back, has been awesome for them. Uh, They found something in Kaminga, like some youth, some athleticism, some physicality that they needed. And you know, I, I don't think D'Angelo Russell is gonna have a hot streak always. And when D'Angelo Russell's not making shots, like even when he's making shots, the Lakers offense still struggles. I'm I, I'm more confident in the Warriors making noises like a seventh or an eighth seed to go on a run like Miami did than I would be the Lakers. Um but the top of the West is also super interesting. So you have, yeah, you two young teams that haven't really been there before. And then you have two veteran-laden teams. But the veteran-laden teams, I mean, Denver's been there before. The Clippers are are always cursed. Like, what do you make of that foursome?
0: Yeah, I'm not, as basic as the Clippers are right now, I just don't trust the four, the the core four there to either be healthy and or functionally, functioning as a team, just... Because of all their histories, I just don't trust James Harden or Russell Westbrook in a playoff series. Paul George injury his his role of the team is definitely decreasing. There's already talks about him leaving in the summer, and then Kawhi, who's amazing when he's on the court, but you know is only on the court for so long, and that's where I'm worried with them. And they don't really have the size to go up against other teams like the uh, Timberwolves and the Nuggets, in my opinion. I think the top two teams are still going to be the reigning champs, the nuggets. And then also the Timberwolves, just because I like the Timberwolves with their athleticism with Anthony Edwards. I like that. They have the two bigs that they're still figuring out. Plus Nas Reed, And I like Mike Conley. Who's just like a solid vet who just can get it done. I'm a little bit less inclined to believe the thunder just because they're so young and because they don't have enough meat on their bones with the bigs to kind of match up in the West. But I would probably take, yeah, I'd probably take a Western conference finals matchup of Timberwolves and nuggets I'd probably put more chips on the Nuggets getting it done because
1: they're the Nuggets, though. So. It's funny. Like, I, I wanted to, you know, hammer the Thunder for not getting center help because, you know, eventually, like, they're asking a whole lot of Chet Holmgren. And you can see that, like, he may be getting a little tired out mm-hmm. there now, but it, even just him being out there increases their ability to just play five out and so yeah, they got Bismack Biambo in a, in a buyout just for some fouls, which right. may be able to help them. I'm still super high on the Thunder. Like I, I think if it, I think, I think the Thunder are going to win the West. Mm-hmm. SGA is awesome.
0: He is. Jalen Williams. There,
1: yeah, Jalen Williams is ridiculous, and I just think they're high end talent. And the mix that they have is is just better as inexperienced as they are. And if, I know it's a huge if, but, like, if Gordon Hayward can give them anything, like, that's a major pickup. Like, he's 15-5-5. Five and five.
0: Right. No, he's solid. He's, a, and he's And he's a vet. Like, he's, like, vet experience that you want. I would push back on the vet playoff experience because I don't think he has actually has any because the Jazz, I don't think he was good. I don't think the Jazz were good when he was, like, in his, like, young prime and then obviously the injuries on the Celtics – derailed everything but for he's
1: been to- around playoff teams exactly, exactly so like he knows what's going on i just this is a very weird nba season where it, like you can make the case a legitimate case for six teams in the west to win the west right if you're going to include uh, see, I don't, I don't include the Lakers, but like, if you can include like the Warriors because of their pedigree, if you want to include the Suns because of their top end talent, even though I don't think they're really going to be in the mix, the top four in the West, and then the East, like the East is a crapshoot. Like this whole NBA season's a crapshoot.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I will say I forgot to mention the Suns, and like obviously, like last night another like big game. I think probably the biggest win of the season for the Suns. Uh, Eric Gordon had a great game and. um and, uh, what's, and Booker was able to turn it on late. But Bradley Beal, another hamstring issue now. It's just coming down to who's going to be, like, your five guys or seven-guy rotation in the playoffs when you can't really rely on Bradley Beal. And then, like, Nurkic is, like, okay, but, like, he's not. And he has been not.
1: very healthy. He's, he's another healthy. guy who traditionally has not been very healthy. And also just a guy who, like, if
0: you're going to compare him to, like, his matchups in the playoffs, like, he's probably the worst player in his position group
1: in those playoff matchups, right? So, which is kind of why you just have to default to like the nuggets again, because Jokic is the best player in the league. And that's why you can very easily default to as weird as it's been, like you could default to the Milwaukee Bucks because they have the best player in the, in their conference. And it's just like, but then again, I can, I can also see, like, I can see the Knicks making it to the finals. I can see the, obviously see the Celtics making the finals, depending on what Embiid's deal is. I don't really see it with the Cavs, but the Cavs have been really good as of late. Yeah. And I know it's been ugly, but like I still am deathly afraid of the Miami Heat.
0: How could you not be? Exactly.
1: So that's 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 10 teams.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. I
1: weird NBA season. I can't remember a season like this. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. And I guess just because for the last like two decades, we basically had either a LeBron team as like the dominant force or the warriors before and, and, uh, and during the Durant era, but there hasn't been like this much parity that we've seen really in the league, probably in like 20 plus years. I'd say, is that, I don't think that's crazy to say.
1: Yeah. I mean, probably the mid, well not even the the two thousands because the Lakers went back to back to back. Right, The Spurs were always in the mix. Yep, And, and the had... league just wasn't as talented back then as it is exactly. now. I mean, the league is so talented top to bottom. I mean, I know, I know All-Stars are a little ridiculous, but like DeMontis Sabonis is leading the league in triple doubles and double doubles and didn't get named to the All-Stars team. And his team is one game ahead of last year's pace in terms of win-loss record, right? And they're the seventh seed right now. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a three seed last year. Like, it's just, this is a weird season.
0: Very, uh, but it's a great, but it's also great because it also- Great
1: season, it's been
0: fantastic. It shows, and I know that you're a Knicks fan, so all the injuries suck right now, but despite all of that, like, it's basketball is just like right now, perfectly skill-wise, I'd say it's perfectly distributed right now. With the exception of the teams that have been blowing it up, like you could say the Raptors to an extent, and then the younger teams like the Rockets, a lot of the teams have guys who are just going to be fun to watch on any given night. And I think that's
1: a good thing for the league. Last thing before I let you go, obviously Super Bowl's over. So this weekend's headline is the NBA all-star game, which has deteriorated in terms of watchability and quality of product for the last couple of years. Does anything about this all-star weekend excite you?
0: No, not a thing. Couldn't be less excited about this. Maybe the maybe the Sabrina Yunesco Steph Curry three point competition just for the novelty of it, but this is it's all All Star games have just been complete farces and not what we grew up with. Yeah, I don't understand why. Like growing up, it was really fun watching the Home Run Derby and the Baseball All Star Game, and it was well, just because they
1: tinkered the with football. the Home Run Derby rules to make right. it more visually appealing. Like it doesn't need to be like yeah. the classic. You know, uh, format was fine. Yep. More than fine. The NBA All Star game, like LeBron James destroyed the All Star game. He destroyed the All Star game because he decided, like, in and around 2013 not to give a shit. And that,
0: and also maybe to an extent, Giannis, too, because remember when there was, like, team onto the Kumpo and it was like, hey, let's get all three of our, all three of the brothers in a skills competition where none of them are particularly skilled really anything. I mean, Thanosis is probably the biggest joke of the league. Uh, I I don't know. His, what,
1: his, his Twitter clips make me laugh. I, it's I maybe.
0: It, laugh. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a better version of Shaq than a fool with javel McGee. Right. I mean, it's just, he's a clown. He's an absolute clown.
1: But it's just, these guys have no pride and they don't, they don't do it. Like the dunk contest. Yeah. You can talk about the format of the dunk contest, but they, the best players don't do it. The three point shootouts, probably the best um you know uh event of all-star saturday night but it'll be fine but they've also gotten too cute with the with the the mountain dew balls like just can we just have the classic format like there was nothing wrong with it when larry bird was winning in 19, in the 80s with the classic format you didn't need a whole rack of money balls like we right. understood what it was
0: yeah exactly was i also know why do we have the NBA slam dunk competition with guys who aren't in the NBA? Like save me like the G league stuff, like have guys who are actually in the league that can dunk. It wasn't yeah. so long ago that Aaron Gordon, and Zach Levine had an amazing dunk contest. You're telling me that we can't have guys who are young and can bounce still dunk.
1: Like, of Picture course you out how to get Anthony Edwards, John Morant. Uh, Shane Sharp, I'd even do. Shaden Sharp. John. And <laughs> LeBron, and guys like that in the dunk contest and save the damn dunk contest. This is exactly. ridiculous. All right, with that said, obviously was great, but to catch up, obviously we'll probably send uh, Twitter links back and forth. We chat offline. You know what the deal is. But uh, thanks for doing this on. in a pinch. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks, man. Later. Thanks again to recurring guest Avi Wexer for coming on, talking a little bit about the Super Bowl, wrapping a bow on Super Bowl 58, talking about... The NBA trade deadline and the aftermath of the trade deadline. Looking forward to the second half of the NBA season, even though we're over the halfway mark in terms of game is played. But you know what I mean? That's episode 243 for the love of the game. Just one quick thing. And this came out as I'm recording this, that there was a shooting at the championship day parade for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, like, what are we doing here? What the hell's going on here? Well, why are we shooting up? Championship parades—it's insanity. Enough with the insanity. Just like ridiculous. Praying for the victims. Hope they get well soon. I, I saw it was like eleven children. Like what the fuck, man? Just ridiculous. Absolutely senseless. Terrible. You hate to see it. Actually, hate to see it. So anyway, that's episode two forty-eight for the love of the game. Take us out for some.